0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Thursday, July the 7th, 2022. It is currently 8.02 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. I cannot speak for you. I can only speak for me. But... It is common for me. In fact, more than common. Whenever I read something, hear something, watch something, it really doesn't matter what it is. I tend to walk away and just think about it and think about it and think about it and analyze it and analyze it and analyze it. And, analyze it. and my mind usually just won't stop until I, I get something from it. I, I, I either understand it. I, 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 I don't know sometimes what I'm searching for, but I just tend to just kind of chew on it and meditate on it. And this is, this is about anything. It can be, I read a novel, watched a TV show, and I'll just walk away thinking and thinking, go, okay, that was interesting. What about that? And that brings up this point. And that's an interesting concept. And that's an interesting philosophy. And that, and oh, remember that, and that lyric and that song. And it just, yeah, it just, it, it can be maddening at times because my brain will never shut off. But in other ways, I'm very grateful that that happens, especially when it comes to the Word of God. I am so grateful. It doesn't matter. It can be a little five-minute devotional in the morning, right? And I just read one thing, and I walk away, and all day, I'm just thinking about, it, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, chewing on it, chewing on it. And and I'm I'm grateful that happens because it makes it easy to try to, you know, be meditating on God's Word as much time as I possibly can. And that happened to me today, and it's been bothering me all day. And finally, I said, you know what? Stop walking around talking to yourself about it because that's crazy. But yeah, I've just been walking around my house going, well, it could be. Well, now if we connect that, well, that would be interesting. Well, does that work? Well, I may. And, you know, I'm just having a conversation with myself. And finally, I'm like, you know what? Stop, stop. There's people all around the world probably not doing anything on this Thursday evening. And maybe they would like to hear you talk to yourself live on the air. Maybe or maybe even better. Maybe I could find some people this evening who'll be like, oh, you know what? I'm not really doing anything. You know, hey, tell me what you're trying to figure out and I'll help you. I'll, I'll grab a notebook. I'll grab a Bible and I'll work on it with you because I got nothing better to do. Maybe there's someone out there this evening who wants to just kind of have an impromptu Bible study exercise. So what do you think? I, that's what I'm going to do. It's going to happen live on the air. Hopefully it will be beneficial. Now, this is not one of those situations where I've done nothing because I've been thinking about it and I did look up a couple of things and make sure I have some tools here to help me with this. So I've done a little bit of work, but make, make it very clear. It is far from complete. And the way I'm thinking at some point, maybe as I'm working through this, I may stop and go, never mind guys, never mind. It doesn't work. It, it falls apart. Everyone. Sorry to waste your time. Go back to what you were doing. But I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that by the time I finish, I'm hoping by the time I finish, this is the reaction. Actually, instead of cheering, I, I, I would actually, the reaction I want, I just don't have an audio clip for it, is to be, ooh, ah, wow, that, ooh, that's, whoa, that's good. And then, after a, bun, a, a bunch of oohs and ahs and wows, that's good, then, then they applause. It, it can be a, a polite pull, a pull, applause. It can be, I don't know if it's going to end that way, but we're going, we're going to, I put it, we're going to have a little bit of fun because, I don't know about you, sitting down, looking at a scripture and trying to figure it out and working through it. It's like a, it's like a mystery that you're trying to, you're trying to put all the pieces together. That to me is absolutely fun. That, that is like a fun evening. Let's sit there and work on scripture. It's fun. Now it's not fun if you're working on scripture with people who just want to argue all day. That's, that's the worst. The worst is when you're working on something and people just want to argue. You say A, they say B. That's no fun. But when you have like-minded people who are like, yeah, let's figure this out. And they're like, ooh, ah, oh, that's, ooh, that's good. That's good. Then it's it's a wonderful time. So maybe there'll be some like-minded people this evening and we can have a little bit of fun. All right. Are you ready? I hope so. Now, whatever, if you continue to work on this after I'm done, or if you have any thoughts about anything that I have mentioned here, if you think it's a good idea, bad idea, whatever you may determine, feel free to email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, because I love to get that feedback and just to see, okay, all right, there's at least 10 people in the world who thinks that, who thinks that I was onto something and think, and they don't think that I'm absolutely crazy. And there's 947 people who think I'm out of my ever living mind good. Clearly I'm doing something right because the majority disagrees with me. Is that the right way to think? Okay, maybe not. Are you ready? All right, here's how it all happened. Earlier today, I decided, you know what? For the Bible study exercise podcast series, we have curriculum, but I want to add to the curriculum. I want to give people even access to more content more things to help them in their spiritual walk. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to sign up. We'll try it for a couple of months. We'll see what people think. It'll cost us, you know, $20 a month. And we'll just see. It, it You know, it, it will, we'll just add to the cost, but maybe maybe a lot of people out there will benefit from it. So you know what? I, I just went ahead and I said, sign up. Well, as soon as I signed up, of course, I mean, I don't know about you, I had immediately go look at the curriculum. Now, if you've, if you've signed up for the curriculum, you received an email today And all you have to do is follow that link, and that will give you access to the new curriculum. And remember, if you're brand new to this podcast, we don't charge for anything, right? We don't put anything behind a Patreon wall, we don't put anything behind a paywall. All of the podcast episodes are free. All of the Bible study exercise podcast episodes are free. And the curriculum is free. And sometimes we give away free books. We try to do everything we can to minister to as many people as possible. So if you have already signed up, you got a link today. Please look at it. You'll see, you're going to see both curriculums now, right? You're going to see the Bible studies for life curriculum and the explore the Bible curriculum. Bible study for life sometimes is somewhat more topical, and the Explorer of the Bible is more going through parts of a book. Even though it goes through in a, you know, in, a, in, a, in a very rapid pace, it still gives you a kind of a different type of study on a different subject, so it gives you extra. So immediately today, of course, I was like, boom, I looked at it. And I, I decided to skip the adult study guide And I went right down to the Daily Discipleship Guide because I, just with the uh, Bible Studies for Life, I tend to like the Daily Discipleship Guide, especially just for my, say, morning or afternoon or evening or late night devotionals. It just gives me, sometimes I like it. Sometimes I like the Adult Study Guide better, but hey, that's the thing. You have access basically now to four different books, right? So you can choose whatever works for you. But I I skipped the Adult Study Guide and I went to the Daily uh, Discipleship Guide and it this uh for this session it's called proven, and it's uh, uh covering first Kings 18, 25 through 39. First Kings 18, 25 through 39. And immediately I saw on, only God is worthy of worship. Now I don't like when they do that, but that's kind of like, hey, here's what we want you to when you study this text, here's what we what we want you to see, what we want you to think about. I I don't like that because I like to just look at the text before someone kind of tells me what to be looking for, because I think that can kind of uh, add a kind of a, a bias, a presupposition to the text. It may be right, but I would like to just uh, let the text tell me that, but that's okay. So I, I saw that and I'm like, all right, I know the story of First Kings 18. I we've done a Bible study exercise uh, podcast and uh, what a number of episodes on First Kings 18. I think we did on First Kings 17, 18. I can't remember what we did. Enough. Uh, we did a number, and I hope that you still remember some of that. I think it was a pretty good study in some cases. We did, uh, if you remember, we never could determine: is it Baal, Beal? Baal, remember, there's all kinds of different ways of saying that false deity or the priest of Beal, the, the, be, they were worshiping Baal or Beal or Bel, all right, I've heard so many preachers say it so many different ways, okay, remember that whole discussion, I don't know, and remember I kept saying it all kinds of different ways, yeah, you remember, okay, some of you have no idea, but you can go back and listen to all of them, all right, but, so I looked at it, I'm like, pretty cool, I looked and I'm like, okay, um, that's interesting. It looks like a, a photograph of the, it kind of looks like the Grand Canyon. And then it has like, uh, over on the right, it has like some text. It looks like from First Kings. I'm like, that's okay. Then underneath that, it has uh, it looks like may, maybe the Grand Canyon again. I'm assuming that's the Grand Canyon, but it's just an interesting picture. And I and I'm like, "Okay, I kind of know why. I know why. I know why they kind of they went with this." And it may not be the Grand Canyon, just what it looks like to me. I I'm I'm assuming it would have to be something in the Middle East to fit the story, but okay. So I looked at that and this is like number 6, and then I said, "They have understand the context. We could read that right now, but we're not. They have the uh passage outline, all right? That's interesting. Uh they have the keywords that's that's interesting. Uh and oh Beal or Bel, the, uh, the name of the chief pagan god worshipped in ancient Canaan and uh Phoenicia. All right, so all right, that's interesting. And so I'm just looking at it, I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay. Uh, Bial or Bel, uh, was thought to have authority over lightning and rain. Yahweh confronted Bial or Bel, on Beal's, or Bel's strength. Yahweh sent fire from heaven to consume his sacrifice, and then sent the rains immediately after, proving his superior, or superiority over Bial or Bel. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's good. I could probably do something with that. But And then I got to this explore the text, and they have these kind of questions. And I'm like, oh, that... I like that. I like that. Explore the text here. They have a key doctrine. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wait. They have something called Bible skill. I'm like, that that's that, okay. Bible skill is it's, it's going to give me something I need to do so I can develop skills in my study of the Bible. Well, I, I don't look, I don't care. You give me a, if, if I walk by a book that says something about Bible study skills, how to study the Bible, how to interpret the Bible, how to read the Bible, you know, five hermeneutical keys to unlocking the scriptures. Anytime I see any of those books, I don't care how many schools I've gone to, how many seminaries, how many things? I, I will always stop and pick up those books and go, hmm, okay, 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 I know that. Okay, okay, let me try it their way and see if it works better than the way I would do it. Because, I look, I always want to grow in my ability to interpret scripture. So when I see Bible skill, I'm like, ooh, it caught my attention. Then I read these words. Read, can can do that. Reflect, all right, I got that down. I can reflect and talk, think about it. And then this is interesting. Read, reflect, react. I'm like, that's interesting. Read, reflect, react. Okay, I I think I do that. Frequently with the Bible, or at least I I can't speak for other people, but I have a tendency when I read the Bible, I tend to walk around, right? I do this even when I'm reading a novel. I don't like to sit; I like to walk around, and I usually talk back to what I'm reading, right? It can be a novel. I'm like, no, what are you doing? No, 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 you got it all wrong. No, no, she's kidnapped and she's she's in the different building. And I'm yelling at the book, and I'm like, what is going on, right? And I'm reacting. I do the same thing with the Bible. I read and I do a lot of I reflect, but I do a lot of reacting. Well, what about this? And that doesn't make any sense because if that was true, well, why wasn't this true? Why does this happen? I don't understand. What are you doing? Wait, I do the same thing and I, I do. So, okay. Read, reflect, react. All right. That's good. That's that's good. I do a lot of that, but what do they want me to do? This was, I found uh, somewhat interesting. I, I guess you wouldn't really have to add this word It kind of caught me off guard because I never really think about my reactions being this way, but in reality they are. So they say this, read, reflect, and react emotionally. Okay, that makes sense because I think every time I react to scripture, there is some emotion, right? Dismay, confusion, frustration, anger, excitement, joy. I I think that, and I, I think we should have an emotional reaction to everything in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. I think there should be a reaction. I I think so. Sometimes I'm baffled <laughs> and confused when I hear pastors preach, and it's kind of like, hey, look, man, if you don't want to be here, it's perfectly okay to just go home. It's And I know that everyone's personality is different. So no one should be forced to react, say, the way I do, where I react emotionally to everything. All right. But some I, I do think we we can have a reaction to the word of God it should be we should be excited about it and want to understand it. All right, so I got that I th- I got those those techniques down. I think I do that re- frequently. And you don't have to react just so th- this. You can read, reflect and react and you can do it on paper and you don't have to be speaking out loud, but you want to get that reflect what are you reflecting on on paper and you want to get that reaction. And the reason why is the reaction really captures your thoughts of the moment. Now, your, re, your that initial reaction may has to continue to be thought through because sometimes our first reaction can be wrong. But all right, now what do they want me to read, reflect, and react emotionally to? Well, this is what it says: read aloud and reflectively, First Kings eighteen. 38 through 39. All right. I can do that. Let's let's go here. First Kings. First Kings. I pick up a completely different. I got too many bibles on this table, so I'll I'll get used to one and I'll know exactly where a book is and then I'll pick up another one. I'm like, "Wait, what just happened?" All right. First Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18. 38 through 39. 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 38 through 39. All right? 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to go to verse 37 just for a little bit of context. 1 Kings chapter 18 37 through 39. All right? And this is Elijah uh, with uh in his kind of got contests with the the false prophets. You can look at the chapter if you need to uh, where they're going to offer sacrifices, right? Uh, all the uh the false prophets of Baal are there they go to Mount Carmel there's four hundred and fifty of the prophets right uh, of the groves four hundred which eat at jezebel's table uh, Ahab sent all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel that's verse twenty and twenty one and and then elijah uh came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if be all, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. So there's gonna be this dramatic contest really between the true God and the false God. And there's obviously not going to be a contest. All right, so we know the story. Well, there's a lot of preaching you can do there, but they want me to focus on two verses. I'm gonna go 30, I'm gonna read three, 37, 38, and 39. Verse 37. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. So he's praying that God will react, it will, God will act so that it can be known and seen who the true God is. Verse 38. Then now notice this, verse 38. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. And the wood and the stones and the dust, so the fire of God falls, it consumes the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the dust, and it licketh up the water that was in the trench because he tells them to pour all this water around it, right it, it everything is consumed by the fire of God, the fire that falls from heaven, or the fire that comes from the Lord, the fire of the Lord. Now note verse thirty nine and when all the people saw it. They fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Now, I read that today and I'm like, hmm, man, okay. And I started just reflecting, reflecting, reflecting. And then I started getting a little bit like, well, okay, So those people got to see visible evidence that there is God. They got to see fire coming down and consuming a sacrifice. And they're like, he is the God. He is the God. I'm like, that's awesome. Wouldn't that be great if that happened today? I started thinking kind of along those lines. And then I kind of just forgot about it. And then a little bit later, I started thinking, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe we don't look for that because I know we don't look for that because that obviously is not happening what if something kind of happened like that that we should look to so i'll read what's the rest here in the curriculum it says imagine yourself in the place of the of the people on mount carmel who witnessed this amazing event consider the emotions expressed as they saw god's fire consume everything okay I can do that. I can imagine that scene and it would be absolutely amazing to see. It would be, it would be, it would be awesome. It would be like, wow. All right. I can imagine that. I can imagine the emotions. But then the curriculum does this and this is where I went, uh uh-oh. This is where I went, no, disagree. Got a problem. I need a solution. Here we go. You ready? What experience today might cause the same emotions? How should we respond to demonstrations of God's power? They jump from first Kings and they want to look to today and almost as if we, what, what kind of, ex- what could we see today that could give that same kind of reaction? Almost we should look for. And I know that a lot of pastors preach preached the whole thing with Elijah that yes, sometimes we can call to God, God demonstrate your power. And no matter, no matter if gallons of water are poured on it, we, we can cry out and God will show us his power. We just have to believe. We just have to trust. And I don't think, I don't, It's a historical narrative for that particular situation. I don't think we're looking for that. I don't think we're looking for some dramatic experience with God's power in 2022. I don't think it works that way. Clearly, well, clearly not. We don't see this. Now, you always hear stories that, oh, over here, there was this dramatic display of God's power this or this. Either one, there's never any video. Two, there's never any proof. Okay, you always get these kind of just, you know, Oh, 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 by the way, you know, I I, I saw this. Okay, well, wonderful. I, I need, there's got to be proof, right? And in a lot of cases where they supposedly have proof, then a little bit of investigation, you find out fraud, fraud, fraud made up. And so you become kind of jaded at it. So I'm like, you know, so we don't, we don't, we shouldn't be looking to an experience. But wait a minute. Did something similar happen in history, that we should look to. Now, I'm going to try that. I'm going to throw out some ideas here. I am not saying that this is completely worked out. So, please don't immediately just, don't immediately say, oh, he's right. Don't immediately say, I am wrong. We we need to work together. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of hand this to you. That's why this is gonna be posted in the Bible study exercise section because it's going to fit that criteria for those podcast episodes. I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna do I'm gonna do most of the work, but then I'm gonna hand it to you, and then I hope you'll be like, what well, again? What what's the reaction? I want ooh oh wow that's that's pretty good. That's pretty. And then I want to turn into applause. Okay, maybe. I'm hoping it will at least turn into agreement. All right, here we go. Here we go. I, st- I grabbed a notebook. And I've got it right here. And I wrote down 1 Kings 18:38 through 39. right? right. We've read that. First thing I focused on was this, verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord, I wrote fire from God or fire of the Lord, all right? Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed burnt sacrifice, sacrifice. Then, uh, and verse 39, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God in reaction. So I wrote down fire from God, sacrifice, reaction. Those are the three things that just jumped out at me in the text. Or not just jumped out, just a basic observational. Remember, Bible study is primary observation before you can do anything else. I'm like, okay, fire from God, sacrifice, reaction, fire from God. So the people saw the fire from God, burn up a sacrifice, and they had a reaction that said, he is God. I'm like, okay, there's something. And then I started thinking about it. When we speak of fire from God, what does it typically point us to? What is fire from God typically connected to? Typically, all right? Not, I'm not saying in every single case, but typically. So I started doing a little bit of work. And I, and I came across some verses like this. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. We see You can uh, connect that in Deuteronomy 4.24. In Hebrews 12, 29, I don't have time. We're not going to have time to go through every reference. You can write them down. Deuteronomy 4, 24, Hebrews 12, 29. When it says he's a consuming fire, all right? Okay, thank you. Someone just said judgment. That's where, when when I started thinking, okay, a consuming fire, it's a fire of judgment. It's a fire of wrath, okay? Now, just stay with me. I know there's some cases where we could see fire maybe being used to purify or to cleanse. But I think typically it's associated with judgment or wrath. So I started trying to think about it. Like, okay, you got Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They're barred from the tree of life by a flaming sword. Okay, Genesis 3.24. Obviously the Lord rained a, a rain upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire Genesis 19:24. In Egypt there was hell and fire mingled with uh with the hell very grievous Exodus 9:24. All right? And if I if I have if I have a, if I have any of these references wrong, please uh, correct me, okay? Because I wrote some of these down re- re- relatively quick. All right? So we have the, the, the flaming sword, basically that's a threat of judgment, right? We have fire and brimstone, Sodom and Gomorrah. Clearly, that's judgment. We have in Egypt, there's hell and fire mingled with the hell. That's Exodus 9:24. Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire before the Lord, and there went out a fire from the Lord and devoured them. I believe that's Leviticus 10. And Korah's uprising, a fire from the Lord. A fire from the Lord and consume them. I think that's number 1635. And then Elijah prayed fire down from heaven. And I believe that's 2 Kings 1. I think it's verse I think it's verse 10 and 12. It's 2 Kings. I, th- I think originally I wrote down 1 Kings, and I know it's first. I know it's I'm gonna have to just look at this one. It's not first Kings. I'm, I just know. Let me go to 1 Kings chapter 1. I know it's not 1 Kings. I uh, know it's not 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 10. No, that's Nathan the prophet. No. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 1. 2 Kings chapter 1. Here we go. 2 Kings chapter 1, if I can get here. I'm still in Okay, 2 Kings chapter 1. I believe it start with verse 10. Okay. Yeah, 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 10. And Elijah answered and said to the captain of fifty, if I be a man of God, let then, let, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. All right. There, once again, it's judgment. It's judgment. All right. So we have uh, Genesis 3, 24 the flaming sword. We have Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19, 24. We have hell and fire, Exodus 9, 24. Nadab and Abihu being consumed because they offered strange fire. Uh, that's in Leviticus 10, 1 through 2. course uprising, number 16, 35. Elijah prays fire down from heaven, 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 10 and 12. And I think Malachi predicts a future day of burning. I think that's Malachi 4, 1. Right, you may have to verify that, but I'm not gonna look that one up right now. So all of this points to fire equals judgment or is connected with it. Now you get to the New Testament, obviously, Jesus speaks graphically about going into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. I think that's Mark 9:43. He tells of a rich man who died and was tormented in his flame, Luke 16 24. One day Jesus will have to say to those who uh, who reject him, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, Matthew 25, 41. And then the Apostle Paul wrote that Jesus would come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, 1 Thessalonians 1, 8. Jude mentioned others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. That's Jude, verse 23. And then in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, John writes, whoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. So, basically, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, fire is connected with judgment over and over and over again. I'm not saying it's never connected with anything else. Please hear me out. I'm saying that it's common to do that. So, when you think of a sacrifice, right? Sacrifices were, got because the wages of sin is death, right? And because we have sin. A something has to die, and that, and in many cases, we have the idea of a burnt sacrifice. It is burnt, right? And I think because that the fire represents judgment. So when God pours out, when He sends fire from heaven, heaven to consume the sacrifice, that's in a sense pouring out that wrath upon the sacrifice instead of pouring out His wrath upon us. All right. Now I'm not saying that is exactly what is supposed to be seen here. And the story of, 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 uh, this, the text here, let me go back to this, to the original text, um, I'm not saying that that's what we're supposed to see in 1 Kings 18, 38 through 39. I'm not saying that it's meant to say, here's, here's what we want you to see. No, it wants us to see that historical narrative, right? Hey, Of Elijah, the the prophets, and all and all of this happening, the fire coming down, and these people saying, he is God, he is God. But I was thinking about that. We're never going to see that. We're never going to see that again. That was a one-time thing. It's not going to happen again. God is not revealing and operating in that way today. It's just a fact. I mean, it's just the way it is. But there is something we, that the whole world can look to. The whole world can look to where this very similar thing happened, but in a different way. Where, in a sense, fire came down from heaven to consume a sacrifice. So I started thinking this fire from God. Okay. That's, that's judgment. That's, that's wrath. And then I started thinking about the sacrifice of Jesus. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, was not the wrath of God, in a sense, fire from God poured out upon that sacrifice to consume that sacrifice to, for him to satisfy that wrath completely and fully I can think of some scripture here all right and we, we're it's really going to be focused on a, on a Greek word or a couple of Greek words but the, the but we all know this passage we all know this passage all right we all know Isaiah everyone knows Isaiah right we all know Isaiah Isaiah 53 all right we all know Isaiah 53 Isaiah 53. All right. Um, here's, here's, uh, uh, just a couple of verses. All right. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53, verse, we'll go with verse four. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. All right? And then look what look what uh, it says here. Verse 10. Isaiah 53 verse 10. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was bruised. He was ch- he he was punished. God's wrath was poured out on him. So there is Jesus the sacrifice and the wrath of God is poured out upon Jesus. He bruises him. He sends his wrath upon him. Well, you say, well, I need, I need some more scriptures to, to, to consider this. Well, let's look at these. I think these are a couple here that we can look at, all right? We could go with Romans 3.25. Romans 3.25. Romans 3:25 Romans 3:25 whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. God set forth whom God, speaking of Jesus, if you go back to verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation. Christ was set forth to be a propitiation. Now, that's a very important word. Let's do this. Let's look up propitiation. If you have the Blue Letter Bible app, Let's just do this together, all right? All this will come together here soon. Now you probably are familiar with this Greek word, all right? This is the Greek word translated propitiation in Romans 3:25. Strongs G2435, Hilostadion. Hilostadion. Hilastērion. Hilastērion. Now it's used two times. One-time propitiation, one-time mercy seat. Oh, that's interesting. All right, Hillasterion. It means propitiation. It's Strong's definition. Um, It's uh, an atoning victim, the lid of the ark, mercy seat, propitiation. Relating to, this is the outline of biblical usage, relating to appeasing or expiating having play, placating or expiating force a means of appeasing it, it is to appease something it's to appease something something needs to be appeased what needs to, when how is jesus our propitiation because something needs to be appeased and what needs to be appeased god's wrath god hates sin God is angry at sin, and we are sinners. So what needs to be appeased? What needs to be placated? The wrath of God. Jesus is the propitiation. He is that sacrifice that the fire of God can be poured out on and consumed so that it is satisfied. They go on to describe this word, hilasterion used of the cover of the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies, which was sprinkled with the blood of the expiatory victim on the annual day of atonement. The rite signifying that the life of the people, the loss of which they had merited by their sin, was offered to God in the blood as the life of the victim, and that God, by his ceremony, was appeased and their sins expiated. Hence, the lid of expiation, the propitiatory, um, lid, or you could think of it that way. All right. Now, this is important. When you think of the Ark of the Covenant, what's inside the Ark of the Covenant? You have the t- broken tablets of the law. There's the law. We've broken it. We're broken. What's on top of it? The mercy seat. What goes on top of the mercy seat? The blood. Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. In a sense, his propitiation covers us. We're the, we're, we're guilty of the broken law. When God sees us, all he sees is broken law. That's all he sees. We are broke. We have broken the law. We are guilty, 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 guilty. Jesus is the mercy seat. He is the propitiation. He is the blood. And then now when God looks down, he poured out his wrath on Jesus, the propitiation, and Jesus satisfied all of that wrath so God no longer sees the broken law. He sees the the satisfaction to his wrath on his son. All right? Let's go to another one. Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's Hebrews 2.17. Now, let's go to Hebrews 2.17. I don't know. Let me look here. Let's go to Hebrews 2.17. Hebrews 2.17. Hebrews 2.17. We'll look up the interlinear. Okay. They don't use propitiation in the King James. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, But they do use the word make reconciliation all right make reconciliation and all right uh well it still has uh, the idea of propitiation um, it's this greek word strong g 2433 hilaskamai 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 it's used two times it means to be merciful or make reconciliation uh hilaskamai uh means to atone for, be propitious, right? Be merciful, make reconciliation for. To render oneself, to appease, to become propitious, be placated or appeased, to be propitious, be gracious, be merciful, to expiate, make propitiation for. So it can mean propitiation again. So it can be translated to make propitiation. Once again, Christ propitiates, satisfies, expiates the wrath of God. Without Christ's propitiation, we will be consumed by the fire. We will receive the fire of a holy God that it will burn throughout all eternity. Or God, our Christ on the cross took the eternal wrath of God and satisfied it completely. All right. Let's go to another verse. 1 John 2, 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only, and not for our sins only, but for those of the whole world. 1 John 2, 2. Let's go to this one. 1 John 2, 2. I'm in 2 John, so that's not going to help. Let's go to 1 John. 1 John 2 2. Lots of philological issues with this verse i know but it is the uh, the word propitiation here 1 john 2:2 2, 2. it is translated propitiation in the king james and it is this greek word strongs g2434 hilasmas 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 it's used two times both times propitiation strong def- de- definition atonement okay an expiator propitiation appeasing propitiating the means of appeasing a propitiation so in all of these cases and we could look at more uh, there are other verses we could go to first john 4:10 at the cross jesus took our sins himself he paid the penalty for our sins or our, I'm sorry first first john 4:10 yeah in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I was starting to read my own notes, okay, so at the cross, Jesus took our sin upon himself, he paid the penalty for our sins, he became a substitute at the cross. God's justice was satisfied, and his love was fulfilled he He satisfied the wrath of God, he satisfied completely it he it it was placated it was taken care of it was satisfied now go back to this passage in first kings go back to this passage in first kings and i think now you'll see what i'm trying to do here or at least i hope you do first kings chapter 18 verse 39 or verse 38 the fire of the lord fell now this happens in a dramatic Literal way, in first Kings eighteen, and we can all like, Wow, wish I would have seen that, right? Fire comes out, it consumes a sacrifice, amazing. And the people fell on their face and said, He is God, He is God, He is God, and every and it's amazing and and of course, the curriculum that I'm looking at wants us to do, remember their their thing. Reflect on it, react emotionally, and ask yourself, what experiences today may cause the same emotion? We're not going to have the same experience. But I know where we can look to. 2,000 years ago, not on Mount Carmel, Mount Calvary, there was a cross. Jesus was placed upon that cross. And fire came down from heaven, the wrath of God, and consumed that sacrifice. And that sacrifice, in a sense, satisfied, propitiated the a complete wrath of God. We can't see ever again what happened in Mount Carmel, and we don't look for that. We look for something greater, uh, where fire came down and consumed a sacrifice, and that wrath was completely satisfied on our behalf if we believe. He becomes our mercy seat. He becomes our propitiation we, oh, well, we could get into a whole discussion about, in, in reality, depending on your theology, he did that. That was all done for me specifically because he propitiates for those whom he will save. we can get into a whole discussion about all of that. I'm not going to get into all of the different theological nuances of this, but I want us to just see that my faith in him, he's my propitiation. He satisfies the wrath of God. And guess what my reaction should be when I look to the cross? I should not be looking for another mighty, powerful display like on Mount Carmel because I look to the cross where I see a mighty display far greater than what took place on Mount Carmel. Something a more amazing that, that do, Mount Carmel cannot even compare to what Jesus did. And guess what? I should fall on my face saying, he is God, he is God, he is God. Seeing Jesus... Hang on that cross and drink every drop of the wrath of God. Experience the entire wrath of God's fury, the fire of God upon him for me should make me fall on my face and say, he is God, he is God, he is God. I think that I'm not saying First Kings 18 was written to picture this, I just think that when you see that, there is a tendency to go, okay, if, when you're in a situation, if you'll, if you'll say, God, consume this, bring fire from down, fire from heaven down and do this mighty work. He will do it. And then you can, and then everyone will see it and say, he is God. He is God. And this is so much a part of charismatic theology where you do power evangelism. You go out there and you're going to demonstrate the power of God. So they'll fall on their face and say, he is God, he is God, he is God. Well, just make sure we remember plenty of people in the Old Testament saw the power of God and seeing the power of God and some external display doesn't change the heart. It's when we look to the cross and in God, in his sovereign work, opens our eyes to that sacrifice to the fact that he was satisfying satisfying my sin, then I will fall on my face and say he is God, he is God. What saves us is not seeing an external display of power. What saves us is looking to the greatest display of power ever, the cross of Jesus Christ, who satisfied the wrath of God on the behalf of undeserving sinners who deserve every bit of that wrath which is me so in the curriculum when they tell me to read first kings 18 38 through 39 and imagine myself there oh i would love to have seen it it would have been amazing But when, I, when they asked me what experience today might cause the same emotion, I'm not looking for an experience today. I'm looking back 2,000 years ago where there was fire from God, there was a sacrifice that was consumed, and God's fire and God's wrath was placated. It was satisfied. It was expiated. It was completely removed. Now see what I, I didn't? I didn't hear it. See, I was hoping right there I'd be like, ooh, ah, that was really okay. That's good. I need to work on that. I, I look, that's not perfectly laid out. That that's just a little bit of thinking. All right, just it's just me basically having my own evening devotional time, and I'm hoping well you're having it with me, and hopefully you're going to be like, oh wow, well, okay, well we could think about this. Okay, do you think that? Yeah, okay. I I see the connection. I'm, I'm hoping you see the connection. I want to make sure we, please hear what I'm saying because I don't want to violate any hermeneutical principles. I'm not saying 1 Kings 18, 1 Kings 18, 38 through 39 is to be in a sense interpreted allegorically or in some kind of typology. I'm not saying that. It's a historical narrative saying this is what happened. And it's amazing what happened. All right. But when I think of that, that's not going to happen today. So I can't go, oh, if I do these three steps, the power of God will fall from heaven. All of that's just ridiculous. It doesn't work that way. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. If you think so, you go run around looking for the fire from God to fall from heaven, okay? And, and usually you don't want the fire of God to fall from heaven because you're going to be consumed by it because it's his wrath, okay? But that's a whole different story, okay? All right? That, that's, a whole, that's a whole different story, all right? But what I can do is like, okay, that's amazing. So what should I look for? What should I look to? And then I can take this language and see fire that's connected to judgment. Hmm. Sacrifice that points me to the only sacrifice that should point me to is the sacrifice of Jesus. Okay. Did Jesus, in a sense, experience the fire from God? Yes. He was bruised. He was punished. Our sins. Our, the wrath of God was poured out upon him because our sins were imputed to his account. Did he propitiate, expiate, satisfy, placate? All of the different words that are used there. Hopefully, I said them all correctly. And then he's my mercy seat. He's, he's, he's your mercy seat. Isn't that amazing? And the, the Ark of the Covenant is the broken law. That's me broken law. That's that's everything in me, about me, on me, around me. That's, that's me. But he's the mercy seat. And what's on the mercy seat is what well, his sacrifice, the blood. God, if he sends his fire down from heaven, it hits the mercy seat. Well, he doesn't have to send down the fire because he sent it down on Mount Calvary. And Jesus was consumed. And God's wrath was propitiated, expiated, satisfied. The silence is not quite the reaction. What? But I hope that's good. I hope that's good. Uh, It is (laughs) is, – I I am going to have to wrap this up, not because I necessarily want to. There's probably more I could say. Well, one, I'm in danger of repeating myself. But um, right before I came up here, I went outside to try to water the rose bushes and the tree because they're all dead because it's 900 degrees here in Texas and it hasn't rained in six years. And so I had to crawl kind of underneath the rose bushes to try to get to the water hose. And I just realized I cut my arms all up, and I'm currently bleeding. <laughs> so that's I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. But I don't care about the blood. Well, I do care about the blood, not my blood. Um, but I I hope that you will give this some thought this evening and kind of look at first Kings 18, 38-39. And and not and once you kind of see that, then see Christ, the fire, the sacrifice, and then hopefully, as you meditate on what Jesus did on the cross you too will fall on your face this evening saying he is God, he is God. And without him, the wrath of God will be mine. All right, thanks for listening. You can email me your thoughts, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And if you want to look at what i am read, if you have access to the curriculum this evening, just go to, you can go to the Daily Discipleship Guide uh, it's called proven session six and it if you scroll down see so the first page is the those photographs I'm talking about second page is understanding the context third has first Kings 18 25 through 39 it kind of breaks the passage down then you have explore the text then you have apply the text and then you have daily exploration you can skip that. You have, oh wait, no, actually it's before Daily Exploration. Where is it? Oh, yes, right before Apply the Text. It's page 55, um, and you will see Bible skill, read, reflect on, and react emotionally. And then you can see that, and then you'll see why. Hopefully, you'll kind of be able to figure out, how did he get from there to, from Mount Carmel to Mount Calvary? That's how. All right, you can give me your thoughts. News if at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening to that, this impromptu special Bible study exercise, and uh, well, I wanted to make sure if we're paying for the curriculum, I was going to make sure you got something out of it. So that's one of the reasons that if if we have it, I'm gonna I'm gonna trust me. I'm gonna find a way to make sure you benefit from it somehow. But while I'm helping you benefit, well, I'm 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 pretty convicted by all of that, and I think it's a, a very powerful thing to kind of work on. And if you want to flesh it out a little bit more and clean it up, let me know your thoughts and share what your study looks like. All right, everyone have a great evening. God bless.